in a, a series here called Compass. It's a short series just for a few more weeks, two or three more weeks, where we really want to use this to communicate some fresh vision and values, a little bit about ourselves, how we're structured, how we're ordered, because um, we want you to feel uh, that in order for us to go forward, we have a sense of knowing who we are. So for those of you who've been around for a while, some of this might feel a little bit repetitive or info heavy, but I'm going to try and bring it to life and keep it moving. Um, but um, for those of you who are new, hopefully this is, or newer, hopefully this is, this is helpful for you. Because in order to know where we're going, we need to know where we are. We need a reference point. Um, if you're going hiking or climbing, you'll know that your compass is really important. You know the point of orientation. The orientation point is really, really important because in order to move forward, we need to know where we are, where we will come back to. If we're going in a particular direction with particular degrees <laughs> taking us towards the kind of goal of where we're supposed to, then it's important that everything kind of lines up with the orientation point, the reference point. And so um, as any kind of family, business, culture, church, it's important that we, we know who we are and the plumb line, if you like, of where we are going. And, um, and the reality is, I guess what I want to want to start with this morning before we get into some so I'm going to teach a bit for the first half of this and then we'll get a little bit more practical and show you some ways in which we're ordered. But I guess where I want to start as we try to find ourselves in this new place, this new building and all that that represents, I just really want to say God is calling us forward. God is calling us not to stand still because new things lie ahead for us. Um, there, uh, we were praying here on Friday night with some of the guys and as we were praying, we were really praying into that and sensing that strong that well there's a degree of comfort about a new building that's beautiful and supposed to be grateful for and thankful for and rejoice in and celebrate there's also a sense in which we don't want to get too comfortable because it's not a it's not a place for to create comfort for christians it's a hospital for the sick and, uh, and we really want to remember that as we go forward i was thinking as we were praying last week of st francis of assisi who um who spent his life on behalf of the poor and the sick and the least. And when he was nearing his final days, on his deathbed nearly, he said this, let us begin, brothers, for up until now we have done little or nothing. Such was the relentlessness of this desire to continue to win more people for the Lord. I don't know if you've ever seen that powerful clip in Schindler's List where the, the guy who rescued so many of the Jews, and there's that really emotive kind of place where all of these people thank him for that, and he said, I could have got one more. I could have got more. I could have got more. And there's something about that, the heart of God that bursts and pulses through his people, and, and, and is, that is a testimony to you. And so we, we want to think in this way. Let us begin, because up until now, we've done nothing. And I think the St. Francis was partly inspired by the Apostle Paul. So look at this verse on the screen. On our big screen. Don't worry, Johnny is trying to like just iron out this little thing here. So those of you who, that's really annoying. Um, you don't have to be annoyed anymore. It's going to get sorted. <laughs> um, and this is what it says in Ephesians chapter, or sorry, Philippians chapter 3. Not that I have already attained, Paul speaking, or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, 
I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Paul is encouraging the church here not to look to the past, not to be focused on the past. Both the bad of our past, the kind of shame and stuff that we can feel about our past, we're not not to focus on that. God in Jesus has forgiven that. He's not thinking about it anymore. And so neither to you, unless God wants to do some healing and, and stuff like that. We're not to focus on our past, but also in a good way. Sometimes we can get really sentimental about our past. Sometimes, you know, we can continue to live just on the stories, uh, the, the trophies of our past, and not really move further into all God has for us in the future. And, and Paul wants us to have a sort of steely vision that we can win more. We can do more. Let us, let us begin. Let, he wants us to think like that and to, to um, have a mind in that way. But then he also says this, and sometimes we miss that because we focus on the first part of this verse, rightly so. But look at this last verse where it says, nevertheless, Nevertheless, to the, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. And so he's saying, let us also remember, so we're not to focus on the past, but let us remember how far we've come. Let us think about what we have attained. Let us think about the victories that we have won. And let us draw strength from them and allow our faith muscles to rise up and to prepare us for all that's ahead. And so as a church family, you can apply this to your life individually, and please do, but we can also think about this corporately together. We've won some battles. We're sitting here in our own miracle story of God's provision. So we have some things that have already been done and won, and that's not to say that we rest in our laurels, but we draw up strength and faith to persevere, to launch us into all that God has ahead. Is that making sense? Yeah? So let us be of the same mind. Let us have the same standard, some translations say, or the same. Let's live from that place now together into all that God has for us. Um, And so in order to do that, we need a common script. We said this a couple of weeks ago. We need language that isn't confusion but clear so that we can all understand how God is leading us forward because our alignment, how we think together, Paul said, let us be, let us walk by the same rule and let us have the same mind. In other words, let's have that kind of proper alignment together as a family to make us more effective for how we move forward together. And so a couple of weeks ago, we summarized our vision and our values in, the, in this, that were one vision, six long-term aims, three core values, and six practices. I'm not going to go over them again this morning. But um, suffice to say that we have um, patterned our understanding of our vision and our values on the Great Commission and how Luke tells us that in the book of Acts and how Jesus said what, what Jesus said was going to happen. Luke tells us the story of how that actually happened through his retelling of the early church. And we have mentioned how the early church is both a movement and a family. Uh, The Holy Spirit was poured out upon people who were thrust out into the streets to go and proclaim the good news of God. But as they went, they built family along the way. And, uh, And so we could say it like this also, the church is and always should be both expanding and establishing. Um, Okay, put your hand up if you don't really like change. Who doesn't really like change, right? I understand that there's parts of me that doesn't like it, but I'm really sorry. (laughs) I'm really sorry about that. 
because it's all over the Bible. It's constant movement. It's constant movement of the Spirit. Things are changing in and through the early church all the time. Now, that's not to say a bit of stability isn't helpful now and again. And that's why we do talks like this, Compass, to orientate us, to stop, to breathe, to have a sila kind of moment and go, let's think about where God has brought us, how we've got here, now where is he taking us forward, and let's plan effectively as much as the Holy Spirit will reveal to us about how we are to do that. So the church, the movement of the, it's always moving, it's always expanding, it should be until Jesus comes back, but as it goes, it's also establishing, okay? We're both pioneering and settling in constant kind of cycle. And that's what we have to like almost surrender to. And so maybe for those of us this morning who, who struggle with that, sometimes we just have to go, God, I trust you in the midst of all the change. I'm going to say yes to you to keep on moving. And so I, I want to focus a little bit more on the family element of this this morning and how we apply it. And so a couple of weeks ago, we look at Acts chapter 2 and this beautiful description of the family of God, of the church. The Holy Spirit was the new wine that was poured out but the wineskin to hold and maintain and contain, if that's the way to put it, the Holy Spirit's wine, the wine of the Spirit was the church, the family of God. And we see this beautiful reflection of it. But we're going to move on this morning to Acts chapter 6. And I'm going to read from there in a moment. But the context is that the church has grown. Things have changed. More people have got saved. More people have come to know the Lord. Round Jerusalem and Judea, lots of people have come to know Jesus and the apostles, the leaders of the church, they're scratching their heads a bit going, this, this thing is in the best possible way is a little bit out of control. Like we have to like, more people are coming to the Lord. We need to disciple them and get around them. But we also want to feed the poor, look after the widows. And as well as that, there's some sectarian issues that are going on as well. Now does that sound familiar, right? How we kind of apply the story of Acts to, what, um, to our context today. And so the context of yeah, what I'm going to read in Acts chapter 6 is that's it. So let's read, Johnny, if we can. Yeah, I'm trying to work out what way to look. It's so big. Anyway, in those days, I'll just read from my page and you read the screen, okay? In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, so they're Jews that spoke Greek, that didn't necessarily live in Jerusalem anymore because the Jews had spread around different parts of the region and they weren't seen as orthodox, if you like, Jews. These are Hellenistic Jews. And they were complaining against the Hebraic or the Orthodox Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the 12 disciples gathered together and said, it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. In other words, we can't really teach the people. They're, they've got bitterness and sectarianism in their hearts. We need to disciple these people. But we're not even getting time to do that because we're trying to like get the tables out and serve people food and look after the widows and all of that. So this is going on. It would not be right for us to say to neglect the ministry of the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a servant to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, and so the Word of God spread. Interesting. So you bring some order 
like some divine godly order. You bring structure in a way that allows for growth. Okay? And something, the word of God spread and a number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a number of priests became obedient to the faith. So we can understand the problem. The early church is growing. The ever-growing family of God is growing. Um, People from all different cultures, creeds, levels of economy, different people from different sections of the social ladder all coming together into one family, and there's issues. Anybody have issues in their family? And, And so the New Testament speaks honestly about this, right? It speaks honestly about family issues. It doesn't try to gloss over them. But in the midst of all of this, it gives us, now I used this phrase two weeks ago, normative practices, or another way to put it is like biblical keys to help guide us. So that we're in the context of first century kind of Judaism, which we want to remember. Uh, but, and, and so we want to apply that to our context. So we look for some keys that help give us wisdom when we have issues, when we're dealing with growing pains and all of those kind of things. And so the first, I've got five this morning, the first normative practice is they found structure which served the movement. Okay? They found divine order or structure that's, that serves the movement. In Acts, they found a way to order things and allow for growth. And often the church does this in its first generation of its involvement. It's all exciting and wonderful. Wow. And then, but what happens often is we find structure that doesn't serve the movement, that actually stifles the movement. And so the problem becomes, and much of the church across the world, particularly in the Western world, as it moves through generations, it becomes more bureaucratic, more policy-driven, more structure-driven. And those things aren't unimportant, but it loses its thrust and its impulse to reach the lost. And the structure stifles the movement, whereas it's not supposed to do that. Uh, the early church didn't try to control. They just tried to order, and there's a difference. Right? They didn't try to control the growth. They kept saying yes to the Holy Spirit. And after they said yes, they said help. Right? Um, and then closely connected to this, the second normative practice is that what we see is that it, through the book of Acts, we see a uh, a spontaneous people movement of Jesus' followers. So the ordinary everyday person was released and empowered to go and proclaim the gospel, to be a kingdom, to be a, a kingdom agent in the world around them. But they were guided by Christ-like leaders who were anointed by God to bring ordering and establishing to the family of God. That's the way the early church um, operated and how it sustained and stewarded growth. And we want to apply that to our context. What we don't want is a sort of hierarchy of leaders that kind of just do all the work. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's a family of God empowered together, each, everyone, every day, everywhere, but leaders serving like Jesus served to help bring some order. So, of course, the challenge is when we were 60 or 70 people in the High Street Mall with a building that we didn't own, trying to make and find our way, are different than they are now. You will all appreciate that, I'm sure. And so we have to think a little bit differently, ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom to help us bring the right ordering that God wants us to. And we know, uh, we want you to know, this is important because we want you to know that our heart as leaders is to keep saying yes to the Holy Spirit, whatever that means, but also to trust the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom for the ordering. 
So there were some things that happened in the early church that it was a very direct, clear kind of Holy Spirit word to say, do this. And there was other times when like literally what they did, they drew lots and went, God, could you be in this kind of drawing of the lots thing and somehow give us wisdom, right? Now that was before the Holy Spirit came and then the Holy Spirit came and then, and then they kind of developed that a little bit and they were like, let's submit ourselves like Jesus would to one another. Let's have a really good chat about this. And at the end of that chat, let's, let's trust that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us. And so I think it's on the screen. Yeah, we want to say yes. <laughs> so we're over here and one way going, come God, come and do whatever you can do. Come and like just fall on us. Holy Spirit, fall on us. We say yes to you. Yes, whatever that means, wherever that takes us, whatever that means in this building, yes, yes, yes. And God answers those prayers because he loves surrendered hearts. And then stuff happens. People get saved. People that we didn't even maybe even like get saved and they become part of our family. God does something in different parts of our town that we've never even been in before. And all of a sudden, our lives have to change and we're like, how do we deal with this? And we come over here and we go, Holy Spirit, help. And he goes, okay, well, because this is what I love to do. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. It says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. In other words, that means, I think we're hearing God. And so we're going to go in faith with that. And that's what we want to do. I love this from J.K. Chesterton, which kind of summarizes this point. He said this, the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Isn't that brilliant? I think that captures the essence of what I'm trying to say. And so that's, that's, what we, that's what we desire. That's what we want to do. Obviously, you can apply this to your own life because as you grow and develop and the Lord keeps saying yes, you can steward even more of what God wants to give you and trust you with more. And therefore, what we need to do at certain times is ask him to give us help around how to order that. So let me say a few more things about this before I tell you the last two or three points and um, share with you how we do that. <clears throat> One of the people that we look to as leaders um, our, our, as church leaders, is the Apostle Paul, because he was obviously one of those who helped bring order to the church while always trying to expand it and say yes to the Holy Spirit. And he is the one that maybe arguably got the most revelation of what the church is like and how it operates. And so I'm jumping from Acts to, to Ephesians, if that's okay, to, to just read a few quick passages that I could spend so much time in and I'm going to try not to. This, this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul has received revelation about the church, and this is what it says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. One new humanity. This is this, what we remembered in communion this morning. This is the consequence and implications of what Jesus has done. One new humanity. Not two. One new humanity. Please just hold that, hold that thought. For through him, we have both access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, we've read this over the last few weeks, this part of the passage. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul, the Apostle Paul, has seen something so beautiful that he will give the rest of his life for it. He, he, has, he has seen a family of every tribe and tongue and nation come together through Jesus as one family. And he, he will talk and he will live, give the rest of his life to see the one new humanity established on the earth. Living stones coming together to build a spiritual temple. Now, as I've said, that sounds beautiful, and it is. But in practice, it's not that easy. You need help for all these people to become one new family. And so you turn the page to Ephesians 3, and he, he says this. I became a servant of this gospel of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone, notice this, the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word for sorry, the word for manifold wisdom here is where we get our word kaleidoscope from. It's many-layered or multi-layered beauty. And so Paul is seeing the beauty of the church. And he's saying to the church in Ephesus and to all the churches, he's saying, I have been given like revelation of the mystery or the some of your, your translations will say the plan of how this all works. Now, forgive me for a moment just to I go into my inner kind of Greek nerd, okay? Right? The Greek word for administration here or plan is the word oikonomia, okay? Now, this, 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 this word is split up. It's made up of two words, basically. Oikos means house, and nomia or nomos is law. You put them both together, and you get this idea of, Household management or household order. Now, Paul was taking a word from that culture in that day. So he was taking a word in, in that day. Um, a house was not the way a house is in the Western world, kind of typical, you know, kind of 2.4 kind of kids in Western individualized Europe. It was much more earthy and gritty. There was probably uh, an elderly kind of maybe grandparent that would have lived there. There would have been lodgers. There would have been servants. Uh, there would have been maybe uh, little businesses that were uh, springing out of the house. And so the woman or the wife usually of that home in those days, it was usually the woman, she would have managed the ordering of the house, how the finances were handled, who slept where, how the whole thing operated. This was family, but it needed ordering. A modern-day example would maybe be the wider family round on Christmas Day. Who pulled the short straw this year to have the, yeah, to have the whole family round? Now, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? But it's, it's like we can be honest as church. It's, it's challenging too at times, isn't it? You know, you've got like the kids running around, like hitting each other with the boxes of their toys from that day. You've got slightly eccentric, weird maybe, aunts and uncles who kind of show up once a year to come around. You've got and the, yeah, it's just a bit chaotic, but it's family, yeah? So I see lots of people smiling because your families are um, 
not as maybe um, we would like everybody to think they are, but it's family and it's fun and it's great, but you do know at the same time that it needs some ordering, doesn't it? It needs somebody to go, right, this is the way we're going to do this. We think it would be best if we serve the kids at this time, maybe in this room, and then we'll open the presents at this time, and then we'll feed everybody at that time. It's family. What I'm trying to say is it's, it's never not family, but without any kind of ordering, it would be chaotic and you wouldn't have a good time, right? Some of you are uh, not looking forward to it already and have just uh, um, br- br- brought up something that's hit, hit a nerve, right? But what, what I'm trying to say is just use this metaphor to think about Paul was saying basically that's the kind of revelation that he got from God about how the church should be ordered. This beautiful one new humanity of every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together and Paul is receiving wisdom about how to do that. Which is why that he would say in another one of his letters, he said, I've been given, um, God has given him grace. I laid the foundation as a wise builder or an architect is where we get that word. And someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. And so the apostles, as they planted these churches, they realized that the ordering of the church was really important. And the third normative practice, therefore, is the thing that they realized they needed to order it was appoint leaders. Christ-like leaders and who would give themselves on behalf of the church. So it's interesting, not, not to get into this too much, it's interesting in the early church that in different churches in different places, Corinth, Ephesus, Antioch, there's slightly different forms of leadership. There is fluidity and flexibility in how they operate. But the thing that is normative that they do in all the churches is they appoint elders. They appoint Elders who will oversee the church. Paul and Barnabas in Luke chapter, sorry, in Acts chapter 14, it says, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And this was a really, really important thing. Elders are servant type leaders called by God to lay down their lives for Jesus and for the local body in which he's called them to serve. It's a high calling. Elders will give an account before God of how they led, how they oversaw the flock that God had called them to love like he loves. It's not a job. It's not a position of power. They're not in eldership because of how much money they have or how much influence they have or even how gifted they are, although that is important. It's based on the call of God confirmed through a life that, though not perfect, seeks to imitate Christ and a spiritual burden for the people in that body. Uh, They provide the main care and governance for the local church. And so we have elders. We are an elder-led church. You want to see them? Here they are on the screen. Look at that lovely bunch there. There there we all are, right? Um, Keith and Sharon, Stephen and Brona, Chris and Debbie, and myself. And we meet regularly to pray for you, and we love these people. And my wife, in case you don't know, Rachel, she doesn't function as an elder um, because she's um, uh, called by God in the sector that she's called by. But I don't function that well without her. Let's put it like that, okay? Um, so that, that's just helpful, hopefully. If you're new here, you can know these faces. And um, none of us are perfect. None of these guys are perfect. That's why I like them. Um, hopefully that's why you like them. We, we, we don't always get it right. Well, we say sorry when we don't, because that's what Jesus would do. 
But I just want to say that I love these guys. I love their hearts. I love their friendship. I love their hearts for you. And it's a privilege and pleasure to serve alongside them in what God is doing here. And in every church, I believe, we should have this principle of eldership. People who give of themselves to help order the household of faith and love in the body. But how do we operate? This is our fourth normative practice I'm honing in here. We operate as a plurality of leadership mutually submitting to one another. The thing we see through the New Testament is this beautiful mix of plurality. By plurality, I mean almost like equality across the board as a leadership. Mutually submitting to one another. Um, We do recognize that there is a gift of leadership that maybe some elders have more than others and therefore people lead out in different ways. But the important point to get is that nobody's more important than anybody else. And the elders aren't more important than anybody else in the church. They are actually, in, in the kingdom of God, hierarchy is inverted. It's the other way around. It's not top down, it's bottom up. We serve like Jesus served by washing people's feet. And we do, while we do have a senior leadership team, which I'll talk about in a moment, we don't use the phrase around here, senior pastor. And it's not like that's not wrong, and some churches do use that, and that's perfectly fine. But we feel like it implies more of a metaphor of a pyramid or a hierarchy or a chain of command or an org chart that you might see. Org chart, it sounds so North American. But like an organizational chart, you know, or something like that. That might. Um, we, we, we believe that it's important that we function in plurality. We do use the word lead pastor because we think that honors the gift of leadership. But we just think this is really, really important for you to know. This is how we're ordered and this is how we're structured. Then we also have a board. And um, we still, sometimes people call this a trust. trust. We have a charity limited by guarantee. Boards, it's important to say, aren't a category of leadership that we see in the New Testament. But the New Testament does call us to, to good citizenship. And in the 21st century that we live in, the state kind of requires that things are put in place, that measures are there that provide accountability. And uh, it's our conviction. Therefore, that the board isn't necessarily the, uh, the, the ultimate source of governance for the church. I think the elders are to spiritually do that, but that the board is essential. And there's people that give way over and above them in the background to make sure that we have a safety net for checks and balances, ensuring financial propriety, good operation, safeguarding, management of buildings, in all of those areas, and due diligence is carried out. And so the board is critical to us. They carry so much in the background around, as I've just mentioned, buildings, staffing policies, finances, serious hours, serious, serious hours are put in in the background. And um, this is our board, um, imported down, and we have a board in Lurgan as well, and we do those um, boards together. And there's people who serve in this, as you can see on the screen, but we also have people that serve in kind of subcommittees, people like so, so Johnny, who's at the back most of the time, is our vice chair, and um, just unbelievable, unbelievable level of servants. There's people like John Buster, who helps count the money on a Sunday. People like Norman, who have helped us massively on the board around health and safety, fire stuff for this building, so that everything is compliant. In some ways, this sounds like the boring stuff, but I'm sure when you go home at night and you think about your kids using this building and how we operate in this building, it's good to know that these things are in place and we're always trying to improve them. And then we have some staff on the ground um, here in Portadown as well. Myself and Chris are obviously full-time 
Debbie and Brona, both a day a week in pastoral work and in administrative stuff. And uh, Sh- Sharon, uh, one of our elders as well, helps oversee some of the compassion stuff in the pantry. And obviously that will increase in the long term, but this is how we understand all these things operating together. We've got an elders bringing spiritual oversight. We've got staff that implement and equip a lot of what goes on in the everyday. And then we've got a board who protect and govern. And, um, and so that's all really important about the way we function. Now, again, maybe for some of you this isn't that interesting. You just want to come to church on a Sunday and uh, hear about Jesus and grow in your own life and all of that. But we just think it's important for you to get this. Our relationship with Lurgan then is, is really, really important as well. As, as you know, we feel that God really wants us. Part of our mission is intrinsically connected to Lurgan's mission as well because we feel this whole city of Kurgavan is crying out for a move of God. And so we, we want to join together. We feel like uh, our, our, our vision uh, overlaps together and is entwined with one another. And so in order to ensure that that happens, we have an overlap of our elderships called our senior leadership team. And so on, on the senior leadership team, I think we have pictures on the screen. Those were, those were done for the, for the website. So we have Dave Wiley and Phil and Rick who lead in Lurgan. Um, and then with myself and Chris, who obviously lead over here in Portadown. And the point of that team is to ensure that there is this strong overlapping connection between Lurgan and Portadown. We make every Tuesday morning, for most of that morning, discerning, listening, trying to hear what the Lord's saying to us. There's a lot going on when you add all the other things that we're doing in the land and the nation, and we're trying to keep those things aligned. And then once a month, we're joined by... Um, Lenny and Nicola and Tash, who are mostly based in Lurgan, but Lenny does all of our finances for us. Tash organizes a lot of the communications, all the events, like the Tabar Conference, NUA, a lot of those kind of things. And Nicola um, oversees so much of the compassion stuff, um, and she's led by and directed by Chris and all of that. And so the reason I tell you all this, then, when somebody asks me who leads the church, who's the main man or the main woman, I just say all of us. All of us, all of us lead the church because it needs all of us. Because the Bible says that the mind of Christ is in the body of Christ. It never says the mind of Christ is in the boy at the top of the tree or the woman at the top of the kind of... It's not really the way the church works. And unfortunately, lots of churches have adopted that model. And, um, and I'm not saying they can't be successful and see God do something. I'm certainly not saying that we're perfect, but we are seeking to try our best to follow in the ways of Scripture. And so once, a, three times a year, sorry, we have what we call a leadership discernment community. And all of those groups that I've mentioned, elders from Lurgan and Portadown, the board of Lurgan and Portadown, and our kind of host team, our, our, our sort of most senior staff, we get together for a whole evening and we discern some key issues. And we listen to one another and we prepare our hearts to listen to God. And together we try to discern the mind of Christ. But what I also want to say is that discernment is not limited to the leadership groups. You are all, we are all together here to discern what the will of God is. The reason why Matthew shares what Matthew shares this morning, which is important for us to hear, is because God's spoken to him about what God wants to do here. The reason you know, we will grow together as a family is when we all together learn and contribute to what God is doing. And our corporate prayer is a brilliant way of coming out and praying and discerning the mind of God together. 
And also, can I just say really openly and honestly, our door is always open. We're not too busy to have a coffee and to say, can you tell me a little bit more about this in church? Or I have this little bit of a check. Or I'd really love to encourage you with this. Or I've had, I felt God speaking to me about that. We want those kind of conversations. All of us as elders and leaders, and we want to discern the Lord together. And we're doing, because we want to do all of this in plurality and in mutual submission to one another. There is a difference between strong, godly leadership and heavy-handed control. And uh, we really want to do the former. Finally, if you don't mind me just taking another couple of minutes, the fifth normative practice is, and this is significant as we gear up for next weekend, what we see in the early churches, they were not isolated communities. They didn't see themselves like that. But joined to a family of churches supported by what we call apostolic teams or gifted leaders who supported them. If you were to look at a map of the New Testament church, you might see all these wee dots all over the kind of Mediterranean basin and they all look quite isolated, but, but they weren't. And I have to say, I, I think we've been often, for churches that aren't part of denominations in Ireland and Northern Ireland, we've been very poor at this. We almost like to think of ourselves as autonomous. We're on our own and nobody's going to tell us what to do. But that's not the way the early church operated. The early church operated by knowing they were connected to other churches all around the wider region. Those who planted the churches had an active role in the churches. They were given, the local elders were given the spiritual entrustment to oversee that church, but they knew that wasn't enough. And so they had connection to other leaders like the Apostle Paul, like Timothy, like Titus, like Priscilla and Aquila, people like this who would have traveled around and encouraged those churches. And so we, it's important for you to know is we are not an isolated church. We are connected to a family of other churches. Chris announced this earlier that we're connected to a broader family of churches more globally in the 24-7 prayer movement. Now, 24-7 is a prayer movement, but it is also a family of churches who have come into um, relationship with us, or we have come into relationship with them. And, you know, we have received uh, help from people, like some of you who will know who have been around, people like Roger Ellis, Christine Westhoff, Jill Weber, friends and family who come and input into who we are. They help us become more of what God wants us to be. Why do we need that? We need it because we want to, first of all, celebrate that we're part of something bigger. Secondly, it's a safety net to help us to resolve conflict if that should happen, or in times of crisis, they come in. They give advice. They're just a fresh pair of eyes that are able to see things that we're not necessarily. They bring skills to the table, and it provides a level of accountability over and above what we have. And so we're connected to that more broadly. But to finish off, what's also really important to know is we as a church across Lurgan and Portadown have become that as well to other churches. And so we have this family of churches called Tabar, which God birthed amongst us around seven or eight years ago because things were being planted out of us that we felt we needed to take care of, but also other churches who were independent that didn't house church kind of background churches who didn't have any family or weren't part of anything else were beginning to say to us, could we have more partnership with you? Could you kind of help look after us a bit, speak into our leadership and all of that? 
And so we felt God really speaking to us about this and saying, will you take responsibility for this? And I haven't time to go into today, but all the ways that God spoke to us over the years, it felt like it had a lot to do with wells and springs. And the word tabar is the Irish word for wells or springs. Um, those of you who are staying around for a soup lunch, I'll talk a little bit more about it. But in 2006 and 2007, Emmanuel and Lurgan, we obviously had the hardest years that we ever walked through. And uh, not long after my Auntie Jill died, Philip's wife who planted the church, um, we were grieving, really grieving as a church. It was a complete shock. And we were in a time of prayer and weeping before the Lord. And a song a prophetic song just out of nowhere started to rise up and it was the words of psalm 84 that though you pass through the valley of weeping or the valley of baca i will make it a place of springs or i will make it a well and tabar is the irish word for spring or well and through the ups and downs of the journey of life and of church God has brought us through the weeping, and there will be more valleys like that. That's the life that we live on this side of eternity. God has given us uh, the privilege and the honor to steward a movement of churches in our land and a vision to see more wells and springs happening all over this island. And so next week, 400 people, over 400 people will come to Lurgan from, and we hope to host it here sometime soon, I hope it's okay to say that, but that's what I long to say, yeah, that's, this is why we have this space, people from Cork, Coleraine, Derry, Ballina, Dublin, we're all coming next again, and we're praying it's a place of springs, where God rises up amongst us, and so I'm really conscious, there's been quite a bit of information there, but we feel it's really important for you to know that, but also that very individually, each of us can help understand the contribution that we all have to make, the movement of the Spirit that God has poured out upon us and how we steward it. And as we finish today, I'm just going to pray and then we're, we're, we're finished. I just want to say, God has brought us together for a great purpose. God has brought us together not to, not to get... And I, I, I love the fact that this is not your heart in order just to get comfortable. I love when I talk to many of you individually, there is that, I can sense that restlessness. This God has given us this building for something, something more than just about us. I love hearing that. And as we take time over the next few weeks and months to discern that together, I, I return to the words of St. Francis of Assisi to each and every one of us. Let us begin. Let us begin. For up until now, we have done little or nothing. We've, we've done a lot, to be fair. Yeah? The Apostle Paul says, remember what you have achieved. But let us have that impulse for more. And just as I finish, I just felt it was important to do this. I'm not going to prolong this because we're out of time and I want to finish. I've just sensed this morning that there are some of you in this place who the Holy Spirit is brooding over you today. You know something new is beginning you're not quite sure what it is and he there's like a there's something restless and maybe even just as I've spoken and um, something's going on in your heart you're you're starting to think I could use more of my time you know to serve here or I could start that little kind of business that would produce 
finance that could support this, or I, I could get involved in that particular thing, or these particular kind of group of people are really breaking my heart at the moment, and I need to, and I just, I'd love, I want to pray for all of us, but just if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, maybe we could all just take a moment to close our eyes, just in the privacy of the moment, um, and just, I just feel like I'm supposed to do this before, I, as I pray, as I close. There's some of you here this morning that just feel something is beginning in me and I can't quite fully, I don't fully know what it is, but I know it's something I can sense that the Holy Spirit like is just starting to brood over you. I just love to love you to stand where you are. So if that's the case, just, just stand because I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask everyone to pray in a moment. Lord, I just uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. Thank you that you're always doing new things in us and through us. And God, you're stirring the hearts of your people. And God, I just really want to pray now. I saw the picture this morning that you needed to know, all of you who are responding right now, that you needed to know that the Holy Spirit is brooding over you now. He's resting overshadowing you and God I pray that even Lord as people just respond to this little Holy Spirit restlessness that's happening inside them I ask you to stir it up in the name of Jesus God I ask you to increase that I pray that God they would know the hovering of the Holy Spirit just like with Mary how the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and birthed and conceived something new. And I pray that these seeds of Holy Spirit conception, oh God, would find good soil in the hearts of the men and women of this room. And that, Lord, you would begin to water it now in Jesus' name. And that you would bring it forth. We say, rise up, grow, become all that God has created and destined you to become. And we come against, Lord, every force of the evil one that would seem to, um, that, would, that would seek to resist the new thing that's rising up. And God, I pray in, in, in Jesus' name that you would give fresh grace for each one of these ones to contend for that new thing that you're bringing them into. And we pray, Lord, in the days ahead, we'd see much fruit for the kingdom of God and for your glory. So bless what you're doing. In Jesus' name. Why don't we all stand? Let me just pray a blessing over us as we leave today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this family. We thank you for the story that we have known so far. We thank you for all that you've done in us. We give you praise. But Lord, I speak to every soul, my own soul, and every spirit and soul in this place today. And we just say it together. Let us begin. Let us begin. We open wide the doors and the gates to let the music play and to let the streets resound with singing. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.